The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. For our day-long retreat to conclude this 10-month program of engaging with the Eightfold Path. September seems like a long time ago, or maybe not. (laughs) So I just want to explain that we have a coming together of three groups here at this retreat who've been doing this program all year. So we are happy to host and welcome the people from Insight Santa Cruz who've been doing, they've been following our emails and mailings and exercises, but they've been having their own meetings led by Kim Allen. And we've also got Insight Central Valley from Modesto, which has been doing the same program and with their own meetings led by Lori Wong. And both Kim and Lori are IMC alumni who have gone out and spreading the Dharma elsewhere. So, <laughs> so and uh, most of you may know me. I'm Chris Clifford, and this is Liz Powell. And our third teacher, Bruni Davila, is not able to be here today because there's a Spanish language retreat going on at IRC right now, which is very dear to her heart, so she is there. So, uh, I just want to say for myself, this program makes me so happy. I just can't think of anything that's more meaningful in the world right now than that people would come together and try to study ethics and the roots of ethics and how freedom is not incompatible with acting in a way that's non-harming for yourself and for other people. So this is just a beautiful thing to have devoted your year to, and I'm, I'm very pleased to be here today. So I just want to ask Liz if, uh, and Kim and possibly Lori if they have anything they want to say. We did invite Lori to join us up here, I just want to be clear, but she, she felt like... Uh, participating from the floor today. Uh, So I'm very happy uh, to have all three sanghas together today. And um, there's a saying that I've heard that, and I don't know, I'm paraphrasing, but that every minute that you spend on the Dharma is worthwhile. And I've definitely felt that through this program every year that I've done it and this year. It just feels like you know, of all the choices we can make of uh, how we spend our time, every second that we devote to this just kind of renews the heart and I leave here feeling good every time or leave the mentee groups or mentoring sessions um, or just practicing with this feeling better. So I'm very grateful uh, to be in this sangha and of this sangha. Well, I think what I would add is that um, I appreciate the aspect of this program that's about walking the path. This is something that we do. And so we come together as a group, and that alone is a doing. And we do study the teachings. We, we read them and learn about them. And then you have a whole month to go out and see what that looks like in your life. And however it looks is the right way. That's how that aspect of the path is manifesting for you at this time. And it might be different at some other time. But I love the experiential aspect of this program where we really learn what the path means for us. And it's beautiful. All of them are beautiful. And I've really been uh, touched and moved to, with those of you that I was a mentor for, to see that awakening and enlivening 
within each of you. So thank you so much for your practice. And I also want to kind of echo that. I, I think every year that I've done this program in terms of either being a mentor or facilitating the monthly groups, um, you know, I'm on the journey too with everyone else. And I think that that's the thing that, that's so amazing is, is that you keep deepening your understanding of the Eightfold Path no matter where you are, whether you're doing it for the first time or if you're doing it for the nth time, that there's always something else to keep understanding in a, in a different way. And um, interacting with uh, the people in the program is just wonderful because you, you get different perspectives and it kind of like enriches and rounds out your own understanding as you hear other voices on the path. So I think that's really important. Okay, thank you all. So we're going to begin with a guided sit led by Kim. Yeah, we're just going to take a little time right now to settle in. And I know it was you know, some busyness of the morning to get here and, and also to remind ourselves that this is the practice that we share, is the, the sitting meditation together. So finding a spot that is comfortable for you. If you're comfortable doing so, you can close your eyes. Beginning just by sensing that you're sitting. You've arrived. The body is relatively still. Bringing the attention to the contact points where you're sitting, so the seat against the cushion or the chair, and the legs or feet against the floor, hands resting on the legs or in each other, just these points of stability. and allowing yourself to feel balanced on these points of contact. It's fine if you'd like to rock back and forth a little bit or forward and back, just to be sure that you've really found that center point. And then as you feel the the contact Checking if you've let go into what is supporting you. Or are you somehow holding yourself up, resisting against those contact points? You can just let the cushion or the chair and ultimately the earth support you. Softening that interface. invited to take a few long, slow, deep breaths, 
Really filling the lungs, and then on the exhale, intending ease and relaxation, softening particular areas of tension that you can feel. And as you breathe in, really feeling the body fully as the air expands into the lungs, and maybe you can feel the energy even deeper into the body. And allowing the breath to return to normal. It can help to bring some intentional ease to parts of the body that we tend to hold also. So softening the muscles of the face, like around the forehead and the eyes. Just allowing the expression on the face to be soft. Relaxing the jaw. Relaxing the eyes in the eye sockets. Even just behind the eyes, inside the brain, feeling letting go of the thinking muscle. It can help to imagine a little space between the very top vertebra and the base of the skull, softening the neck. Releasing the collarbones and the shoulder joints, allowing the shoulder blades to slide down the back. Softening the arms and the hands. Feeling into the heart and the lungs, the three-dimensionality of the rib cage. Releasing the diaphragm muscles. And then all down through the belly area. Maybe finding a couple of layers of tension that can be let go of. Often we have multiple layers. Sometimes I like to think of the belly relaxing forward at the same time that the low back muscles relax backward. So everything is falling away from the spine on either side. down through the hip joints and the groin muscles, the thighs, knee joints,
down through the Achilles and the ankle joints and all the way into the feet. Just noticing how much ease is possible in the body just through our careful attention. And if there are parts of the body that still feel tight or sore or we couldn't even feel very well, it's fine. However the body is right now is fine. And we have mental ease about how the body is. beginning to cultivate this quality of mindfulness. Gentle, kind, precise attention. Resting first in this flow of bodily sensations, the breath coming in, going out, and the body sitting, perhaps the whole body breathing. And we gently rest, rest our attention in this simple flow of sensations. If we notice that the mind has picked up a trail of thought, is engaged in thinking about yesterday or tomorrow or something that we'd like to have, and as soon as we notice that, 
we're actually already back. So just allowing the flow of sensations to come back into the foreground, re-resting the mind in the present moment. And if this is all we do for the entire session, it's a session very well spent. That's what Thomas Merton said. Simply training the mind to be with the present flow. As we continue to sit with the flow of breathing and body sensations, if we begin to notice places of ease or tranquility in our body, it's fine to appreciate those, to rest and settle 
in the natural tranquility that this meditation offers. We begin to sense the potential in not reacting, just this simple presence, so much ease. Even if the mind is busy, having some awareness that it is busy That alone creates a little bit of space. And as we continue to sit, opening further to the experiences of the mind, the heart, we may sense that we have a certain mood or certain emotions happening for us. various types of thoughts. These too can be simply noticed with kind attention, with our mindful awareness. As part of the care of noticing our life, Noticing what's happening for us. 
when we observe that there is sadness or happiness or anxiety, the part that knows that is not caught up in the sadness or the happiness or the anxiety. We feel again the ease of simply knowing experience. Sometimes meditation is said to be taking the one seat. So we take our seat here in the center and watch who comes to visit. The whole parade of bodily sensations, emotions, thoughts, intentions, memories. None of it is turned away. All is welcomed and seen. And we begin to see that there's so much change. Experience comes and goes and shifts, transforms, evolves. but it's never just constant. Like a river, can't really be grasped. sitting with the flow of experience.
mindfulness practice is very, very simple. That doesn't make it easy. But the tendency in practice is generally toward becoming more simple, less about the story, less about all the if-onlys and the buts, and more just about this. this moment. The freedom potential in this moment. The love we can bring to this moment. So simple.
when we act and speak and even think with no intention of harm for ourselves or others, then the mind experiences ease. It can settle and gather and begin to see clearly this changing life and the path to freedom. So we have a a few minutes ahead of schedule and there are a few things I forgot to say in the introduction so we'll have a little more introduction. Um, Since quite a few people have arrived, first of all I just wanted to explain again that we're having three groups together here from our sister programs in Santa Cruz and Modesto. So I wonder if you would raise your hands if you're from the Santa Cruz group. Okay, great. And if you would raise your hands if you're from Modesto or the Central Valley group. Okay, great. And Lori is their leader. And raise your hands if you're from here, from the IMC group. Okay, I raised my hand all three times. It's in my heart, I guess. (laughs) My heart was speaking. Okay. (laughs) On behalf of Gil, who actually created this program. So just a couple of logistical things. If anybody parked in the dentist office next door that way, they would really like us not to do that. I wish I'd said that first. And if we have a walk, we will have a walking meditation period, and please don't walk over there either. So we'll just keep it here. And I guess you found there are three bathrooms out there, and we'll have a lunch prepared by uh, volunteers about noon, and you may hear them doing some work in the kitchen. I told them they were welcome to come and do whatever they needed to do. So uh, our plan for the day, if you're interested, is posted on the uh, name tag shelf out there. You can take a look at the break. Okay, so any logistical questions before we proceed about being here? Yes. Ah, I don't know, you know, I'm not affiliated. Anybody here know what that barrel is for? I, I know that it's the LGBTQ group does that as a public service, and I don't know the end date, uh, yeah. but are you feeling like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it, it sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Okay, so I just I want to offer a few words about uh, a little review of the what we've been through for the last year. We're at the end of, for for many of you might be your first pass at working through the Eightfold Path. Uh, this is my fifth year of going through this, and every year it just gets richer and deeper for me, and I develop a new relationship with different factors and see how they work together in different ways and expand the areas of my life where I'm able and willing to look at things related to these teachings. So in a way you could say that we're at the end of the beginning, maybe, (laughs) having gone through it once. And from another perspective, in a way maybe for some of you this year has been the beginning of the end because it's the beginning of the end of a way of life where you don't have a path and you don't know what you're doing and you're just totally wrapped up in suffering. So when we step on this path that's cultivating integrity, the integration of our hearts and our minds, our bodies, what's good for us and good for others, finding this true path to inner freedom and peace, it's both a beginning and an end, the beginning of an end and the and a beginning all over again. So the Kalama Sutta says that the Buddha teaches the Dharma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. And that's certainly the way I feel about it. I've been doing this for 25 years, and I still remember what a relief I felt when I first encountered these teachings and how how I just felt like, great, you know, <laughs> I found it. And 25 years later, I still, you know, many ups and downs, but I'm still learning from it and still finding that. So I want to review the factors of the path, again, from these two perspectives. In one sense, looking at the ways that we've maybe already found refuge and how the what we've learned just through this year is a kind of refuge for us in considering that factor. And then the ways in which I just want to review some of the key reflections that have been that you've been working with this year and the ones that to me are really onward leading that are always there when you find yourself in a state of confusion or suffering of some kind unclarity you can just touch into these reflections and and trust that they will somehow be onward leading. So wise view in what way is view of the view of right view or wise view already kind of a refuge in some ways. You might think about that a minute. So for me, a big part of it is the reassurance that it's not just me. <laughs> when things happen, when I get what I don't want, when I don't get what I want, when I lose things, when there's change, when there's suffering of all sorts, this is the nature of how this being and this reality interact and so it's possible to shift away from blame and guilt and being totally certain that we have to change it to this different perspective of awareness and patience and the confidence that this kind of different attitude is possible. So we're understanding also that every moment of our experience, and especially in how we relate to it, is affecting our view. Drop by drop, this model we have in our mind of how things work and what's helpful and what's not helpful is constantly evolving. And we can, the more we allow in this direct observation of what's actually stressful and what's actually more easeful, the more that our view will continue to transform. So for reflecting on view, you can just 
I find it helpful to always ask myself, what am I believing right now? I'm believing something about myself. I'm believing that something has to change. Something has to not happen. Something like that. There's always some, some belief that I'm clinging on to in the moment, or probably usually two that are kind of butting heads with each other in a moment of suffering. And then you can just ask yourself, how can I bring more ease into my relationship with this experience? Whether you can change it or not. And so then we've studied the wise intentions of generosity and goodwill and compassion. Yeah, renunciation, right. It's somehow, it's renunciation, yeah. Renunciation or generosity is a carrying forward of the positive side of renunciation, right. Letting go, non-ill will, non-greed, non-ill will, renunciation non-cruelty. So when we consider how frustrating and anxiety-provoking it can be that we have to keep trying to wrestle, when we think that we have to keep trying to wrestle external conditions into being just the way we want them to be, it's a real refuge to understand that the quality of the intention that we're bringing to that moment is so much more important for our long-term well-being. So many things that we can't fix, that we can't get to be the way they are. But really, if we if we're, can look at what is my intention here, where am I coming from, then we know that we're planting seeds in our hearts that will be good for the long term. It's an investment in keeping our intentions aimed at renunciation or non-greed, goodwill, compassion. And knowing that what we're putting out in the world is really those intentions and that the, this is the world that supports us and it needs those intentions. And even if we're confused or in times of indecision and confusion, we can trust in patience, we can trust in refraining from acting out of greed or ill will or cruelty. That's good. So you can reflect, for example... When I'm hung up, I'm going to phrase these reflections for you to consider. When I'm hung up on the vision of something that I want to have or become, what does the wanting itself feel like in that moment? So just turning your attention to the quality of wanting instead of focusing on the image of what you want or don't want. What if I let it go? How could I let it go? And then when I think of difficult people, what's the difference in my own heart between wishing them ill and wishing that they may have the conditions for more wisdom? So just feeling for yourself what that difference is. And then you can ask, what aspect of my inner experience needs my compassion right now? So the wise view and wise intention components of the path, the wisdom components of the path, are those that orient us and orient us toward wise speech, action, and livelihood. So how is this factor of wise speech 
a kind of refuge for you in your life. Maybe you've experienced the value of taking time to become more mindful of your intention before speaking, before you went into a conversation, taking a moment. Maybe there are times when you can look back and be glad you didn't say something. You know, it's just, it's provided that freedom from remorse for you for quite a while that you did not say that. There's a refuge in really appreciating space and silence. Not having to talk all the time just to fill the air, but taking the time to really make sure that you're making yourself and others safe from the results of unwise speech. So then you can always reflect, what is my intention for speaking going into this interaction? Where am I coming from, as we say, literally, in your body? Where is the speech coming from? Speech is a combination of bodily energy coming out and meeting some mind state that you want to express. So as I pick up the phone or hit the send button on that email or text, am I really in touch in my heart with the humanity of the recipient? This is a person, too, who's going to read it from whatever their perspective is. Just taking a moment before that so fast form of communication flies out. So, wise action. Speech often gives rise to action. Certainly, there's an intention behind every action. And that's, again, coming from the overall state of your view. Can we take some time to appreciate the ways in which we already refrain from wrong action? I'm pretty sure most of us are not killing people. Most of us are not robbing, stealing Most of us are not committing gross sexual misconduct. So, you know, it's possible, or most of you in most moments, let's say, all of us in most moments, (laughs) even a moment of reflecting on what it's like not to be creating that kind of karma for yourself, not doing that. So you can take your own wise action or refrain from refraint from unwise action as a form of refuge you can taste that bliss of blamelessness and then maybe we can begin to sense and move in the direction of having our ethical actions become more inwardly motivated can you feel for yourself how Acting with integrity actually feels good in the long run, not as a should, but when it's really rooted in who we are, coming from our own understanding. So I find it very useful to reflect and just feel in the body, feel into what's the inner difference between acting in response to a should or a sense that some authority is telling you to do something or not to do something. What is that like? versus acting out of your own 
sense of integrity, the fullness of your connection with your heart and your understanding of what you want the world to be like, how you would like to be treated, how you feel good about yourself when you act. It's a whole different experience. And then you can ask yourself, what are some of the edges where I'm inspired to experiment with more careful observation, say, of the precepts? You know, we all have areas of our lives that we're just, it's like too busy to think about that right now. Or, oh, that too. <laughs> and as time goes by, more and more opens up and unfolds and become, becomes really interesting to look more and more carefully at what, how we're observing our understanding of wise action. So wise livelihood... I find that practice, when I was in the workplace, it can be a great refuge from the pressures of the workplace that always want to focus on goals and success. If you can remember that how we're doing whatever we're doing with our time is actually more important in the long run and perhaps a higher value to you. You know, so you can always turn to that question. At work and in our whole lifestyle, that question has a more lasting impact on our own well-being and that of others around us and ultimately on the whole world than the more transient world of deadlines and making sales and even making short-term results that are, of course, many of you work in helping professions and very, very valuable work that you do. But there's a way in which keeping in mind that this doesn't need to harm you as you do it is uh, a great refuge. So you can reflect, in my work, am I letting the goals and ends overwhelm the how or the means of how I'm doing it? And you can reflect, what values would I like to cultivate through my lifestyle choices? And so then probably after engaging with these uh, months of looking at your speech and your action and your livelihood and all these considerations, we hope that it was really an inspiration to look at the mind. Wow, all this is coming from the mind. It's coming from the speed in which the mind works, right? And the, the, all the stuff that's stuffed in our mind from all the sources other than the Dharma all of our lives. And so it's really an inspiration to then turn to that third part of the path, which is the mental cultivation factors of effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And think, oh, it's really a value to me and it's worthwhile to take some time to slow down and stop and look inward and just see what's going on. So the factor of wise effort. I found actually that was kind of the beginning of the refuge for me in this whole path was the understanding that effort in the sense of straining and struggling and trying hard to make something happen is not the only way to try to bring about some change. That there can be this way of turning to awareness and just with the light touch remembering to be aware and to really look and to slow down. It takes some effort to stop and slow down, but that's a whole different kind of effort than just struggling and rustling all the time with the world. 
taking that time to sense into what's going on. It becomes a source of joy and confidence that, oh, I can just look and I can actually trust what I see inside myself because it's just a struggle of different forces that are trying in their way, unskillfully or skillfully, to bring about happiness. And so if you just trust that what's going on is some way some way of looking for happiness that is maybe outdated, something that was useful to you in the past and has it needs some fresh information and some fresh a fresh look, then it becomes very interesting and joyful to make that kind of effort that's just looking at it. Knowing that we're able to be the gardeners of our own mind, that we have the skill that that takes. So you can reflect in any moment what mental activities are perpetuating a difficult mind state right now, such as resentment and anxiety. What's actually going on in the mind that keeps that going? And what shift in perspective would help you to let go? And then maybe sometime, if you get accustomed to looking at your own mind state, you'll catch yourself in a state of calm and contentment, happiness. It can be really interesting to appreciate, oh, this is that, this is a moment of not suffering. And then the very interesting question is, what happens to it? Right? What, do, what am I going to give it up for? What do I still believe is worth sacrificing calm and well-being in order to make happen somehow? And then you can always reflect on the question of what kind of activities actually nourish your inner sense of well-being. See if you can make some more time for them in your life. And then, of course, we come to mindfulness. It seems always a little odd in this program to me that we don't get to mindfulness until the seventh month because you can't really do much of the rest of it without a good deal of mindfulness. But, uh, and that's certainly how I actually started this practice before I even looked at the Eightfold Path. But there's mindfulness as a profound, you know, path factor. And we can get more and more and more wise and aware of what does it really mean to simply be mindful, that kind of bare attention to just what's happening that's informed by enough wisdom not to get carried away, either in sinking into oblivion or in getting caught up in something. That's a lifetime practice, really refining your understanding of what is mindfulness. And even just the beginning understanding of what is mindfulness, it provides that buffer of safe space around our reactivity. Right? It's like wrapping it in a space where we can actually have a chance to have our wisdom arise. It shines the light of conscious awareness on the true causes and effects of happiness and unhappiness. And I think that what it does is it gives the deeper workings of our system the information that it needs to wise up. You know, so we don't have to make change happen in this path. We have to let in good information and then trust that our whole system has evolved in order to try to make us happy. That's what it's trying to do all along. And if we give it the good information, it will start learning how to be wise. So you can just always ask yourself, what's happening in the body right now? Just tune into the body. You can ask yourself, is what's being noticed pleasant or unpleasant? 
You know, we talk about that. But how often do you really ask yourself in those terms, am I right now engaged with something and because it's pleasant or because it's unpleasant? And that can give you a clue of what probably is going on with you. What mind states are you now under the influence of? Just naming them, you know. And then the next question is, how am I relating to the fact that all this is happening? Is there struggling, trying to make it stop? Or am I really intending to apply that wise effort that's just a more objective observation, seeing how this is working, stepping back and refining mindfulness? And then the more and more often that we're able to be mindful, that we're able to apply wise effort, there's a settling and a collecting and a less extreme reactivity, a baseline of our system sort of gets set in a different way. And we could call that just a growing of everyday level of concentration. Of course, if you have time to add in meditation practice on your own or go to retreats or something, then you can really make quite a shift in that base level and get much more focused and yet open and settled. So I hope that maybe you already enjoy some sense of refuge in your meditation practice, whether that's when you come here or come to your sangha or whether you do have some time every day that you do this. Taking that time to quiet the mind, quiet the nervous system, just let your body reset, taste a little bit of relaxation, before or after a busy day, that is, that is a great refuge. You have this little square thing or this little chair you can sit on and you're just there in your refuge, being working on your practice, knowing that you're going in a good direction during that period. So deepening concentration is a source of this harmless and soothing kind of pleasure, well-being, deep tastes of peace, It heals and resets our basic level of irritation and reactivity. And it stills the mind so that we can see more and more clearly the deeper and deeper roots of where we're still grasping and clinging and agitated. So for reflections, you can always ask yourself, what can I do right now to slow down and feel less scattered and distracted and more focused and more centered? You really take a look at multitasking habits, you know. You're really just practicing scatteredness. Even if you need to do what seems like two things at once, how fully can you give your attention to the one, then the fact that you're now attending to the other thing, and then the other thing, you know, and just consciously slow down. How can I be less scattered and distracted and still do what I need to do right now? And then recalling the value of states of contentment, calm, joy, and happiness. And returning to that question of what are you giving them up for right now? Are you sure you want to? And then if you do have a meditation practice or when you come to a group to meditate, what is your intention when you sit down to meditate? This is a great help in beginning to move toward more concentration. We don't just plop down without really thinking what I'm doing. Because then you'll probably just, something in you will think, oh great, a time to solve all my problems. And you'll just sit there and, you know, do that for the whole period. Not that that doesn't happen. But it helps so much to begin with a clarity of intention that I'm now sitting down to see how 
clear the mindfulness can be to see what's going on in the body to follow the kind of beautiful guidance that we just had from Kim that you can take in for yourself and understand that this is a time to do that and in that way you're really using the time that you have for concentration for meditation to develop this factor of concentration So a theme that runs through all these factors is that we're learning to discern more subtly for ourselves in the moment as the actual felt sense of it, this sense of what is dukkha and what is not dukkha. When are we heading toward more stress and struggle and discontent, more grasping at changing conditions, and when are we heading toward a greater sense of clarity and ease and ultimately integrity, you know, and release from clinging. When do we tighten up? What's it like to tighten up? Are we mentally shut down? It's very interesting to notice, oh yeah, I'm kind of mentally shut down regarding that situation. I don't want to look at it. We're kind of dim, you know, almost like wanting to go to sleep, wanting to space out, turning away from something, turning a blind eye, as they say. So when is that happening? And then if that is happening, you can just notice that. You don't have to immediately make that move to change it, but just to see, okay, this is what this piece, the instruction around dukkha, excuse me, the first noble truth is to understand it, which means to really look at it and feel into it and get familiar with that feeling. And then it may transform. And when you really look at something and meet it right there, then it's, it's seen, it's its kind of obfuscating function is no longer working, and so it can kind of begin to shift. And most of all, can we bring this sense of curiosity and interest to this whole business of being human? We need to learn to trust that clear seeing leads naturally to transformation, and that this deep sense of integrity and trustworthiness of our own system goes hand in hand with actual freedom. You know, freedom is not the freedom to just do whatever pops into our mind. That's actually being driven. It's mistaken in our culture for freedom. But it's really being driven by forces that we haven't looked at clearly. Real freedom is the integrity to know exactly why you're doing what you're doing and that it is the right thing to do and that it's not only for your short-term benefit but for your long-term benefit, which includes supporting the world because the world supports, supports you. So back to the theme of the beginning and end. I know you all know this quote, but I love it. From Ajahn Chah, if you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will have complete peace. So, you know, it's good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. And we have begun, and there's probably quite a long way to go. And in any case, even if you have complete peace, then what you're doing is living your life as a natural expression of the path. These factors have just become so deeply ingrained in you that they're just who you are. The path is actually the way, in the sense of the way you live your life. So those are my thoughts on reviewing what we've done this year. And we have some time for questions. I would love to hear anything that's on your mind about the path or practice that you've had or 
experiences you've had? Any anything anyone would like to ask? Any of the three or four of us, three and a half of us. <laughs> yeah, right. Also, anything you'd like to share? Because mm-hmm. um, the wonderful thing about having right. this bigger sangha is enriching other people with some of your experiences. Right. this working Uh, you mentioned you've been uh, working on the path for 25 plus years so I'm just curious uh, to know you know how you're whether major like experiences milestones or shifts in understanding that you recall or anything you'd like to share about that I'm sure it's fascinating yeah. Hmm. Well, I think it's for me the biggest shift has been this along the lines of this theme of whether I'm doing this for myself and the the sense that I need something for myself and I need to fix myself and I need to feel better. And really just how but doing that it's hard to describe but it's like there's a big buffer of all kinds of thoughts and fears and anxieties kind of between me and actually doing things in the world trusting other people enjoying doing something like this you know and all that has it's like fog burning off uh, as I practice through the years it's like that barrier of me and my problems and actually wow life you know it's so amazing awareness is amazing being alive is amazing and other people are just wonderful and interesting and amazing and you know so that that shift has been I think that the overall theme of those 25 years it's like and it's still going on you know there's still I'm kind of a by nature quite an introvert and a day of interacting with people I need to go home and you know curl up in the corner (laughs) and and I don't really expect that to change and also the ease that that doesn't have to change so I can do that you know and I can see if I if I don't get to do that for some reason oops I forgot there's another meeting this evening or something then I have all these skills to just okay so I'm not going to be that perfect at the meeting but I'll go and you know, it's just a lot of ease with what's going on. And and yet, the overall thing is just this kind of burning off of the fog of not knowing what's going on. And that business of coming ethically from within. You know, I, I certainly grew up with a lot of, plenty of advice on how to be good. And in the beginning, I heard this path as, oh, that's the, you know, like the Ten Commandments of Buddhism, but I'm really coming for the mindfulness and the relaxation. And so I didn't really get interested in the path for quite a long time. But, you know, now I'm really interested because I really, I, I love that feeling. Of, oh, yeah, I actually want these things. It's not just should. So thank you for the question. Thank you for sharing. I love Liz's invitation to share something. You know, we'll have plenty of sharing time later, so it doesn't have to be your your ultimate thing. But just anything that, you know, 
or something that's working for you as a reflection on these path factors. Is this on? Okay. Um, this is my second time doing the Eightfold Path program. Um, and as part of my reflection, I noticed that for the first time around, it's, it is very much from a beginner's mind in a sense that everything's new. It's like, okay, renunciation. Okay, what does that mean? Or what's my, what's my understanding of it and what's being explained here and how do I relate to that? So the first time around, I think I look. I use the word like exposure, mm-hmm. being exposed to a lot of the concepts and or ways of practice, and then I'm trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. Second time around, I've noticed that there's quite a bit of an infusion or immersion of these concepts as a direct practice in my daily living. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, you know, kind of reflecting on the year, the eight months as a, a daily or regular um, relating to whether that theme of the month or the, the practice of that week, it just kind of shows up naturally, um, coincidentally or uncoincidentally. It just kind of arises, and then I'm like, oh, look at this. Oh, here's how I'm relating to it. So for me, it felt like um, there's quite a bit of, it was exposure here at a higher, at an initial level, and then there was kind of like, oh, I'm dunking into the pool here, <laughs> sometimes deep, sometimes not, and, and there was sort of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of riding it, mm-hmm. um, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and I would conclude my comment here, and I, I feel like it's been a very uh, fruitful program. So I really thank you, um, the Sangha and you know the Dharma, everything for providing this opportunity. Um, and so that feels reflecting on the two times around. Just it just feels very onward leading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Onward leading. Yes, great. Thank you. So, um, I, anyone, we have lots of time for sharing later also, so if, but it, go ahead, Cedric, please. Well, I, I share your appreciation. I mean, this is my first time on the path. I've, like, for me, this is the discovery of the way I want to live my life, so it's a yeah. wonderful joy, and uh, I cannot thank you enough for, uh, directing me towards, like, initiating a major change in my life, like you said. So deep uh, thanks and appreciation and gratitude. Um, Other um, question uh, for this? uh, So I might, I'll probably do it a second time. Uh, During this summer, do you have any suggestion of how to maybe stay engaged with the, uh, the Eightfold Path, mm-hmm. or maybe what kinds of other teaching might be most interesting to explore, uh, you know, as a complement. For example, could be the five hindrances or mm-hmm. uh, the seven uh, mm-hmm. factors of awakening or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, yeah any... 
especially yeah. for someone who's right. done it for the first time. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. In fact, we have a whole period this afternoon on what's next and uh, advice and suggestions for what to do next. So I think we'll save the answer for that for then, if that's okay. Because, And we also have a period for kind of a final go-around. So, you know, you, you don't need to uh, feel that you've missed your chance to offer what you'd like to offer by not doing it right now. Thank you. Uh, yeah? I also just wanted to say thank you. I agree that I'm really grateful. I feel like it's also just changed my life. The two things that resonated with me that you said is just the awareness and how powerful that is. Yeah. And awareness of my thoughts, what I found is also my body, which I had kind of discounted that. Mm. And I've learned that when I'm driving, to pay attention to when I tense up. Mm. And it was about two months ago, I realized when I was driving, all of a sudden I would start smiling. (laughs) And it was because I could feel my face tensing up and my hands when someone was driving aggressively or or cutting into me. And I had kind of discounted awareness of my body. And so that really shocked me. Yeah. The, the other piece is you had mentioned the how of what we're doing. I've also noticed it with driving is thinking about when I'm driving, it's not listening to the radio or mm-hmm. the multitasking piece, which I used to do, but really to think about or just be driving mm-hmm. and the peace that you feel from that. So the awareness of, wow, I'm driving and I really feel peace. Hmm. And that you recognize, well, I've not felt peace before. (laughs) And to me, with what you said, those are two things that resonated Mm -hmm. with me. And Mm -hmm. like the last two people have said, thank you, I feel so grateful that I found the practice. So thank you. Okay, we have the next thing that we're going to do is have a 20 minute walking meditation period. I wonder if there are people here who have never tried walking meditation or are not familiar with the instructions for how to do that. Okay, that's good because we've kind of run out of time to give too many instructions. Oh, they're so nice to hear anyway. Well, I know. I'm going (laughs) to, I can't resist just reviewing one more time. But it's. Yeah, we can stand up. It's a meditation. It's not just a break, although if you need a break, this is also the break. So, <laughs> But try to spend some of the time really engaging in this practice. So um, just standing up for a minute. As was just said, coming into your body, letting your attention drop down to where your feet are contacting the floor. And just keeping your attention in your feet and legs. Let your weight shift over to one side. And just feel as much as you can feel about what that feels like in the side that you're shifting to. 
And then lifting the other leg and moving a step forward. And lifting the other foot, moving, coming to rest on the floor. Just seeing how much careful attention you can give to the actual sensations of lifting and moving and placing your foot, lifting the next foot. So you can come to that level of detail maybe after you've taken a few passes back and forth at a more normal pace just to get yourself in your body. You can just feel what it feels like for your body, your whole body to be walking back and forth. And then see if you can slow down, pay a little more attention and come into more detail in the sensations of your feet walking back and forth. All right? So we'll do that for about 20 minutes and we'll walk the short way in this room so that more people can do it. If there's a little bit of room, you're welcome to walk in some of the empty areas here. You're welcome to go outside anywhere except the dentist office next door. I guess our parking lot's being paved, so probably need to let that continue to dry out. But, uh, yeah, (laughs) no one to stick. So that's a very short introduction to walking meditation. What? Leaving pedestrians who want to walk. Oh, yes, and be just... Stay normal with normal passers-by. But anyway. (laughs) And really, it's actually an interesting practice to find a pace and a way to do this that keeps you mindful. So rather than just going for a walk, you might walk maybe 20, 30 feet and then turn around and walk back. And each turnaround is a nice checking point for resetting your intention to be aware and come back and forth. Okay? Enjoy. And we'll ring a bell when it's ready to when it's time to come back